Amen. Good morning, church. Like Matt said, my name is Stevie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm honored to be with you this morning and be able to bring God's Word. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Mark and, and kind of looking through how these, in so many different ways, Jesus has been revealing himself uh, to his disciples. Uh, the first week, we talked about Jesus as the teacher. He was revealing himself to his disciples and to us as the true teacher, then as Messiah and prophet and then last week, Son of Man. And so today, we're diving into um, the title of Jesus as the Son of David and what that uh, really means. So uh, I don't know if you've ever been in this predicament like I have been, probably most of us guys in here, but have you ever been in a situation where you had no clue like what was going on, but you just kind of stood there and just nodded your head like pretty and just went along with it? I feel like I find myself in a situation a lot, especially when Haley and I were planning our wedding. Uh, there were so many things I had no idea were a part of a wedding. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is the fact that uh, weddings have like colors. Like you have like two colors that like are like your wedding colors and everything else like goes off of that. And like I had no clue uh, that you picked two colors for you. I thought the bride wears white, the groom wears black or blue or gray, and then everything else just pretty. Um, that's not so. But many times over the course of our wedding planning, I just kind of nodded my head and said, yes, Haley, that, that sounds great. Um, if it was, you know, uh, for us guys, we would probably just go to the courthouse, right? Um, but it was awesome. It was beautiful. But uh, I found myself in that situation a lot. And it really reminds me of, of the disciples kind of along the book of Mark. We find them uh, themselves in this kind of same situation. They, Jesus uh, will either declare him uh, himself as something, or they'll hear a demon-possessed man call out to Jesus with a title, or hear somebody on the street call out to Jesus with a title, and the disciples never heard this before, and they just kind of go along with it. And over the course of Mark, uh, Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples more and more. And so today we see Jesus as the son of David. And I believe that, that this title, Son of David, we kind of, we've heard this before, right? Like most of us, if we've been in a church, we've heard a preacher call Jesus the Son of David, or we've read it, and it's kind of one of those things like, I feel like we just go along with it, right? Like, yeah, Jesus is the Son of David, I don't know what that means, but I, I, it's, it must be good, right? But it's important, I believe that it has significance in our lives today, that it can in fact change the way that we worship God, it can change the way we live our lives, and change the way that we experience the world uh, today by understanding what it means that Jesus is the true son of David today. So we're kind of going to be going through a big chunk of text today, starting in Mark chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and, and turn your, your scriptures there, but kind of the beginning where I want to start is that as the son of David, we believe that the, that the Israelites had this promise that God was going to raise up a Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, uh, to lead his people to freedom, to deliver his people, and that uh, they view this as there's many prophecies in the Old Testament, and, and one, uh, in specifically the book of 2 Samuel, where God promises David an heir to his throne that would be there forever. And so, uh, read with me on the screen, 2 Samuel chapter 2, when God said to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God promised David that he was going to raise up someone from his lineage that was going to be the eternal king, the son of David. So the Israelites longed for the son of David that would come and deliver God's people and reign on his throne forever. So as we work through this passage, we'll see these kind of Davidic kingdom kind of aspects to Jesus. 
in his personhood and how as a king, as, as the son of David, the true son of David, uh, Jesus showed mercy and he judged and he will reign as king. So we see these aspects of his kingmanship as we work through the book of Mark. So Ruth me starting in verse uh, chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho's disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So there's this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And and, uh, he, he hears, obviously he can't see, but he hears that Jesus is coming along the way. And we see this really cool picture of him crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is the first time in the book of Mark that we see Jesus being called the son of David. So we're about to open this whole pericope of of Mark telling us Jesus is the true son of David. It begins right here with Bartimaeus, who even though he was physically blinded, right, he was not spiritually blinded to who Jesus was. He heard that Jesus was coming. He understood Jesus to be the one who has been prophesied about. He was the true son of David. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So we see Jesus here as his first kind of um, aspect of him being the Davidic king is that he's a king that shows mercy. He showed mercy to Bartimaeus and healed him. And see, the reason, the way that Bartimaeus was healed it wasn't because of how good Bartimaeus was. It wasn't because of how skillful Bartimaeus was or because he deserved to be healed. But he was solely healed based on the mercy of Jesus through faith in who Jesus was. So we see this picture of the gospel right here that it's not any other way that we can be healed, that we can be redeemed to God, but through faith. It's the gift of God through faith, by grace, right? That, that we receive salvation, we receive redemption. And, and for Bartimaeus, he received healing upon his faith. In who Jesus was, Jesus called him to himself. And then he healed him. And through his faith, he received his sight again. So David, the son of David, Jesus, shows mercy. He's a king that shows mercy. He's not that tyrant king that's far above the world and just condemning everyone and making everyone suffer. But he is a merciful, a loving king that through faith, through recognizing who he is and calling on his name, he shows mercy and grace, and he does it to Bartimaeus right here. It's this beautiful picture. And even for us today as church, we can take heart that through our faith in Jesus, through our faith in who he is, as the true son of David that was prophesied about, we can receive him. He calls us to himself, just as he calls Bartimaeus through faith, because he shows mercy. He's a king who shows mercy. Right after this passage, Jesus then begins to prepare his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This is kind of, you know, we're getting close to Easter, it's in two weeks, and this is kind of the beginning of the Passion Week for Jesus as he's, he's riding into Jerusalem. And just as we just sung, on Friday he would die a thief's death on a cross, but then on Sunday be raised to life by the power of God. 
And so he's beginning his triumphant injury, and so, triumphant entry, not an injury, it would be an injury later on, but he prepares uh, to ride on a donkey. So apparently he, uh, if you read um, in Mark 11, he prepared uh, beforehand with a guy, made a deal, I don't know, but uh, he was going to borrow this man's donkey. And so he already arranged that. So he was sending his disciples to gather this donkey uh, to ride into Jerusalem on. And, and it's kind of cool here. Jesus gives his disciples a code word, uh, a code phrase, really. And, and you know, if I wrote this or if I was Jesus, I would have wanted something to be cool. You know, code words are cool, like bananas. Or like, I would have been like, ducks fly together. Like, that's the code word, right? So go tell this man, ducks fly together. He's going to be like, here's the keys to the donkey. Uh, but no, I didn't write the Bible. The Holy Spirit did. And so, but he tells them, to say, you know, the king is in need. It says, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. So that was the code phrase. And so they did that, got the donkey. Jesus gets the donkey and rides into Jerusalem as this triumphant king in the beginning of the week. And there's these people on the streets throwing down their cloaks, putting palm branches down, and they're proclaiming Jesus as the son of David. We see here, we just got introduced by Bartimaeus to Jesus as the son of David. And now immediately we see him being proclaimed in the streets as son of David. So Mark is putting emphasis here on Jesus as the son of David. And they cry out to Jesus as he's riding on the donkey, Hosanna, praise be to God in the highest for the coming kingdom of our father, David. So they're proclaiming on the streets like this prophecy, 2 Samuel chapter 7, is being fulfilled. Praise be to God, Hosanna, the kingdom of David is coming at hand, right? Jesus is here, the true son of David. So we see them already recognize him as the son of David. But sadly, this is a side note really, but many of these, these people on the streets proclaiming Hosanna, praise be to God, were some of the same people on Friday proclaiming crucify him. Right, so we see their faith is a little different than the faith of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus had saving faith. He had, he believed, he trusted Jesus and received mercy. These people were just praise be to God and, and these are good praises. But we see the people turn on Jesus by the end of the week. So I pray that we as a church have Bartimaeus' faith in the sense of recognizing who Jesus truly is. He didn't come to set the people free from the Romans. He didn't come to set them free from slavery, but he came to set them free from sin and from death. That's why Jesus came the first time. And so we see that here as a merciful and a loving king. The second aspect to Jesus we see in this passage is that he judges. He's not just a, a merciful king, and praise God he is, but as a king, a king on his throne is a, has to judge, right? If a king is going to be just and right, he has to judge. And so in, in Mark, and we see three stories in Mark 11, three straight stories. As soon as Jesus is proclaimed the son of David here, then there's three stories of him pronouncing judgment. First, there's the fig tree, right? He walks through the fig tree. It has leaves. It looks like it should be bearing fruit, but it's not. And so he judges the fig tree. He, he curses it. It's, a, it's a, um, a story to show the Israel, right? They were not producing fruit. They looked good. They looked good as a people. They looked like they had it all together. But their lives were not producing true fruit, so Jesus cursed it. Next, Jesus went to the temple. People were using his temple for all these things and, and selling things and making money, taking advantage of people. And, and Jesus went in and flipped the tables. Jesus went pretty savage. He like took whips and like beat people, like all this crazy thing. But he told them, you're turning my father's house to a den of thieves. And so Jesus pronounces judgment on these leaders in the temple for misusing the house of the Lord. And then there's a third story. He tells a parable of these wicked tenants. There's, a, there's this vineyard owner and the vineyard owner leaves and he puts these people in charge of his vineyard. And then he sends his workers to come and check on the vineyard to, to, to 
you know, gain his, his crops, to gain his pay in the vineyards, and the people working in the vineyard, the tenants, they don't take his people that he sends. They, they beat them. Some they kill. And so he is his wicked tenants. And finally he sends his son. It's like, surely they will receive my son, right? But no, these wicked tenants kill the owner's son. And so it's this, this parable to the religious leaders of Israel of Jesus was the son of God being sent, and yet they refused him. They refused to believe that the prophecies was about this man. They refused to open their eyes because they were blind on who Jesus was as the true son of David coming to set his people free. And they refused. They crucified him for claiming to be God, even though he was God. So Jesus shows three stories here of judgment. As a king, he does judge. After these three judgments, we see three different instances of religious leaders coming to Jesus to try to stump him, try to catch him in a, in a loophole or something, you know. And so they, they come to Jesus and ask him three different questions on three different equations, three different situations. Um, the first was uh, about taxes. They asked Jesus, who do we pay taxes to? Trying to stump Jesus. And then, he's, of course, we know he said, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to the Lord what is the Lord's. Then they come to him and ask him a question about the resurrection. The Sadducees come. They ask him, okay, if a man, you know, is without, he, he dies and him and his wife don't have children, then it's lawful for his brother to marry him. And then if he dies and they don't have children, then the other brother marries. And then they don't have children, he dies, and so forth and so forth. Then in the, the Sadducees are saying, then in the resurrection, Jesus, who's going to be the woman's husband? Right? They're trying to stump Jesus. But see, the thing here, Sadducees, the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees did not believe in bodily resurrection, which is why they were sad. You see? There? So they didn't even believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe it's going to happen. They're just trying to stump Jesus. And then another religious leader, some scribes come to Jesus and they ask him, What is the greatest commandment? Right? They're trying to get Jesus in a pickle. And he says, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So three different times they try to stump Jesus, three different times Jesus gives them the right answer. And then Jesus responds with a question of his own in judgment. So. We, we know that David, it was prophesied to David in 2 Samuel that, um, that there would be a son come through him. And we see in Psalm 110, uh, Jesus quotes it here. So read with me, if you will, in uh, chapter 12 of Mark. We'll be in verse 35. So he's talking to the scribes here. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, and Jesus quotes Psalm 110 here, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I'll put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So David wrote in Psalm 110 declaring his seed, right? It's already been prophesied to him that someone would come from his genealogy and be the, the king, the eternal king. And David is calling him Lord here. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. So Jesus is now kind of stumping the religious leaders. They're saying, you know, you talk about, you believe this prophecy that, that God is sending someone underneath David, but David himself called him Lord. So how can it be that he is David's son, but also David's Lord? But how can, and basically what he's saying is, how can he be flesh, be underneath David, be flesh, but also be above David, be deity, be God, be his son? So how can this Messiah, this anointed one who's going to come, how can he be flesh and God? And I just picture, like, if I was in this moment, I'd love to see it. I picture Jesus just going, 
right here. It's me. You know, I am the one in flesh, God, truly human, truly God. Emmanuel, God with us. Even though Jesus was full, truly human, he was also truly God. God in flesh, so he came. So how can this prophecy be? How can the root of David be his, underneath him, be his flesh, but also be God, be his Lord? It's Jesus. Capital letters, Jesus. He is the one. And so Jesus is telling the religious leaders, you got it all wrong. You're looking for this person, but I'm right in front of you. I am the one. I am the true son of David. And yet they refused to believe. They refused to open up their minds and accept this. We see that by the end of the week, those are the ones crucifying Jesus for claiming to be God. And so he showed mercy to Bartimaeus. He shows mercy to us, but he also judges as a king. Third aspect we see here as the Davidic king, as the son of David, is that Jesus reigns. That's what a king does, right? He reigns, not like reigning like every day it does here on Sunday, but reign as the king forever, right? If Jesus is truly the son of David, if we believe that Jesus is the prophesied true son of David, then it must be true that he's going to reign for eternity. Because that's what he says, right? Remember what God said to Samuel? And what God said to David? So I will, in 2 Samuel, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the son of David that's coming, God's going to establish his throne for all eternity. So if Jesus is truly the son of David, then he's going to reign forever. And so in kind of the end of this passage in, in Mark 13, he's beginning to talk to his disciples. He's beginning to prepare his disciples for his departure. When he's going to leave, we know he's about to die. He's about to be crucified. After he cruci- he's crucified, he's going to raise from the, from the grave, but he's also going to ascend to heaven. And so he's preparing his disciples for life without him. And, and so we see this passage of him telling the disciples about kind of the end times, like what was to come and what to be watchful for. And then in chapter 13, and verse 32, he gives his disciples a warning. Read with me, if you will. He says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servant in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows. Or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So Mark is beginning to reveal Jesus as the son of David. And if he is the son of David, he's going to reign for eternity. So Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for this, for this, this truth. And it's kind of twofold here. He, he wants his disciples to be ready, to be watchful for his last days. He wants his disciples to take notice. That what Jesus is about to do is going to be miraculous. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. He's going to take it all as the suffering servant, as the lamb of God that is to be slain. So he's going to take it. He wants disciples to watch. Because what we'll see in in church history is that all these disciples died a martyr's death, much like Jesus. For following Jesus, they died just like him. So watch, watch me and how I respond in love and grace. Watch me, how I tell you, because my purpose is bigger than my life. I'm sent for a purpose. So he wants them to watch him. Next, he wants them to just watch when he leaves. Because if he is the son of David, he's coming back. He promised that to reign for eternity if he is the true son of David. And he gives his disciples six different warnings here in this passage we just read. 
In 13.5, he said, see that no one leads you astray, right? Be watching for false teachers, and it's going to lead you on different paths that's not my path. Be watchful. See that no one leads you astray. 13.23, but be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. Uh, 13.33 says, be on guard. Keep awake. 13.35 says, stay awake. 13.37 says, stay awake. So there's so much emphasis here on Jesus with his disciples telling them, be ready, be watchful. Just as if a house owner leaves and puts his servants in charge and works and tells the doorkeeper, be watchful, I'm coming back to you. So wait and be watchful for me. He's telling his disciples, he's telling his church today the exact same thing. That me, as the son of David, the Messiah, I came, but I'm going back to the Father, but I will come back again and reign for all eternity. So be watchful, be ready. You know, it reminds me of a, this kind of predicament that if, if a professor told me when I was in college that on the syllabus day, the first day of the semester, if he said, one point, at some point in this semester, there's going to be a paper due. But you don't know the due date, right? There is no due date. It could be the last day of the semester. It could be tomorrow. That would that'd be crazy, right? Because for me... This is a little confession time. When I was in college, not now, of course not, but if a professor told me, okay, paper's due on March 30th, I probably wouldn't start checking out books until March 23rd, right? And then, well, I did a lot today, so tomorrow I'll do some more. Then I'll probably start reading the books on the 24th. And then by the 28th or 29th, I'll probably write the paper. But if the professor told me at some point it's going to be due, but you do not know the due date, I would have left that class that very day and wrote that paper. It have been ready. And Jesus is telling us the same thing today, that we don't know the time, we don't know the hour. He hasn't revealed. Even Jesus doesn't know. Therefore, come to a point where God's going to say, go. And Jesus is going to go and come back to us to reign on his kingdom forever. So we don't know the hour. We don't know the time. But because we don't, we're called to stay alert, stay awake, be ready for his coming. I feel like, and I'm guilty of this in my own life, but we live our lives so much the church today where we don't believe that, we don't live our lives like today is a gift, right? We live our lives like tomorrow is for certain. We live our lives like we do what we want, like I'll get to this tomorrow. I'll get to this, like I'll get serious about God after college. I'll get serious about God when I get married. I'll get serious about God when I have kids. I'll get serious about God when the kids go to college and I have more time, right? Like we put it off and put it off and put it off and we don't live our lives in a way that's staying ready for the Lord to come back. That doesn't mean that we're to go shave our heads and put on robes and become monks and, and do nothing but just sit here and, and sing kumbaya and wait for the Lord to come back. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do at all. doesn't mean we can't have fun and fellowship and, and do things together, but Jesus is saying live your lives in a way that's expecting me to return, that's expecting me to come back to reign forever. Because if, if I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, like when I left here today, my life would probably look a lot different. Right? And Jesus has given his church, us, a mission. And we believe that mission is to go to make disciples among all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them all the things that he commanded us to do. And so as a church, we believe that God's put us on mission to go out outside these walls, outside these doors, and build mission helping people in this city, in this neighborhood, in this state, in this world, to help people discover life in Christ because they need it. Because if Jesus is coming back at some point, it doesn't matter if it's tomorrow or in five years or a million years, they need to know Jesus. And we need to live our lives in ways of expecting that and living our lives for Christ. Just like Bartimaeus, 
He heard Jesus was coming. He recognized who Jesus was, and he placed his faith in him, this, this faith that he believed that Jesus was who he said he was and that he could save him, that he could heal him. And then because of that, Bartimaeus' life was changed. And it tells us at the end of that passage that he followed Jesus along the way. That now that he was healed, now that he had sight, now he wasn't going to go back now and, and do everything he ever wanted to do and go look at the trees and look at the flowers and, you know, and all of that. But he gets his sight. First thing he does is follow after Jesus, the one who gave him sight. Because he was worthy of that. He was worthy of being followed. Because he knew, if this guy can heal me, like, I don't, there's nowhere else I want to be, right? Like, I want to be following him. And that's what God is calling his church to do today. And the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, God gives John this vision of kind of the last times and what's this going to look like. And in Revelation eleven fifteen, we see this, this awesome verse where it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So may we as a church today stay awake because we believe the king is coming back. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you uh, for the promise of your word that, uh, that you didn't leave us here alone, that you gave us your Holy Spirit, but that you're also coming back to receive us as your church, God, and that as the, the true son of David, we do believe that you're going to reign for all eternity. So we praise you that we get to be a part of your kingdom. We pray that you continue to guide us, to show us um, your mercy and grace in our lives, but also to, to send us out, God, on mission, and that through um, your power, through your strength, that we have boldness to, to represent you, God, in our world, in our families, in our jobs, because um, we know you're coming back. We believe that, God. So I pray that we live our lives in a way, in a manner that's worthy and reflecting of your grace and mercy this morning. It's in your son's precious holy name we pray. Amen.